Welcome to Wager Cinema, I'm Jack. And I'm Andrew, and if you didn't know, I'm a Gentile, so I don't know <laughs> how to sing that. <laughs> you would catch on pretty quick if you were at a, uh, at a Jewish wedding. You basically just go with it? Yeah, basically. That That is basically what you do. I'm actually you went to a Jewish wedding type. today, how was it? It was fun. It was, uh, you know, it was uh, one of uh, Corey's cousins, and it was... Uh, you know, it was a wedding. You know, it wasn't like super religious or anything. It wasn't like the kind of thing where the women had to sit separate from the men or that's a or thing. Like that. Yeah, in the Jewish religion. Well, in Orthodox Jewish in Judaism. Oh, okay. Not not in like the lower. I say lower. That's not the correct. Term. <laughs> like yes, in I, mean, I am part of the lower in, people, in the reformed the inferior Jews. versions yes, of Judaism. Us reformed Jews, we we are so low on the pale. No. Was, I, I go to church, and every once in a while I hear stories about how back in the day, like early 20th century, men yeah. had to sit on one side and women had to sit on the other. In churches? Yeah, in in, in the Lutheran church. And uh, there was uh, one couple caused a fuss by sitting next to each other uh, uh, in the same pew once. Pew, 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 pew. And everyone looks at it, but like, yeah, that was, that was, a, that was a, that's a long gone time. But uh, un, it's not unheard of. No, no, I guess not. it's probably more in the Muslim religion, but uh, we're not here Listen, to really talk about. We'll talk weddings. more about this in our new religious studies podcast called "The Wages of Sin" and uh, more. And screw it. All right, no, 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 we, we're going with that. But no, we we welcome have back not... to the Wages of Cinema, people. This is great. Yeah, we. I feel like it's been five years since I did an episode. It, it's it's been five long years. I mean, we 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 haven't been able to record a full not not counting our reviews of. Uh, of Spider-Man: Homecoming and Dunkirk, which you should check out if you haven't yet. Um, it's been they've been theaters. Check now out for the a while. reviews and the movies. Yeah, yeah, go check them both out because listen both to our reviews awesome. and then go see the movies to see if we're right. Exactly. Um, I mean, we are but, right, but you should find but, out for yourself. But the point I'm making is that aside from that, we haven't had like a full episode where we just sit down and talk like we usually do in a while. Uh, some of that's just scheduling conflicts. Uh, it's funny, I, I, I felt, I, it suddenly came to my mind, and I posted on Facebook and, tw- and Twitter, um, the song Cruel Summer, mm. and I thought, that's the reason why we haven't been able to do this. It's been a cruel, cruel summer, yeah, and uh, it has. yeah, a little bit in some way. But no, we, we've just both been busy, and sometimes these things just happen. We just can't line up our schedules, and a lot has happened since we have last talked, and uh, the first thing I want to bring up, uh, I mean, it, it always happens that people die because that's how the world works <laughs> you can find that, out more about mortality on our upcoming uh listen, life and death listen, podcast. To, listen to our our, our our religious studies podcast yes exactly but um but no a number of uh people you know very prominent movie people died uh martin landau died mm-hmm. uh uh the actor john hurd i don't know if you that that name rings a bell yes it does it does okay well i mean he's probably although the only thing i certainly know is that he's not the same as john hurt i got that i i got that mixed up wait he died again (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i was talking to my father-in-law and uh he he and i had actually heard heard that john hurd had died early in the in the same day but he just uh 
I was hanging out at, at their house or something, and he just came out and said, man, you hear John Hurt died? I'm like, oh, yeah, that happened a while ago. And he's like, yeah, he was in this movie called Cutter's Way. You ever see that? And I was like, no, actually, I have not. Uh, but, I mean, he'll always be known for Alien and, uh, and Elephant Man. He's like, Hurt. John Hurt. <laughs> I was like, oh. But, you know, we, we uh, I mean, he'll always be known for, as the dad in Home Alone, but... Uh, mm. He had a very good prominent role in After Hours. Oh, yeah. he was the uh, he he was the bartender. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, who he he seems like the one guy who Griffin Dunn can rely on but... for a moment. <laughs> at, at first, he's like, "Yeah, man, I'll give you twenty dollars. Don't, don't worry about it. stupid register." <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then what happened? I'm not going to tell you what happens if you haven't seen After Hours, but uh, watch After Hours. It is yeah. a really great film. But I, I was talking. But but the point is, a lot of people died. John Hurd died. But the one that hit me hardest was George Romero. Mm. And uh, uh, for those of you who hang under a rock, uh, George Romero died at 77. Night of the living dead, the dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. And, you know, people really responded to it. It became a hit. He also made that movie for, you know, like $100,000. It was him and his friends who made commercials in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And it became this cult sensation. But he still couldn't get projects off the ground like he wanted to he spent a lot of the 70s kind of making these movies that i've seen all of his movies but he made some movies that just some kind of slipped in the the winds of time or whatever um and in that time he did make some memorable stuff like the crazies which is a really underrated little it almost feels like a um it's like a bit of a hybrid of night of the living dead and dawn of the dead but in a, also he made this movie called martin right you've seen martin well, no. I think you would find Martin fascinating. Martin is one of the truly underrated movies of all time. It's a vampire movie, but it's not not in the conventional sense. I, I know things about Martin. Okay. Uh, I just haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, and that. Um, but then, of course, Dawn of the Dead was the thing that really. I think that was his first main. I don't know if mainstream is the word, but it was a really big hit. And in a way, I think, although people think of Night of the Living Dead as, a, as this classic, when you bring up the name George Romero, you think of Dawn of the Dead. I, I think of Night of the Living Dead, personally. Mm. I, I hate to be like... No, no, no. <laughs> you, you think of one or the other, or maybe both of them. Right. But Dawn of the Dead certainly enters the conversation. It, it, it has... Dawn of the Dead, you could certainly argue... Could, it could be one of those sequels that's better than the original. Yes. I mean, it depends I, on I how you look so. at it. Both films have, both films are, are very different, but yes, they're essentially absolutely. the same, the same the, story. Well, I, well, there was a friend of mine on Facebook. Uh, I have no idea if he listens to this, but I'll, I'll credit him. Uh, Mike DiLorenzo. If you do he, listen, you've just gotten a free shout out. Ding. Um, he, he made an interesting, interesting point. He posted about George Romero's death and he said, Night of the Living Dead is a movie that, you feel like you're getting beaten up 
<laughs> when you watch it. Wow, that's that is. Isn't that a good way to describe it in a way? That is a very interesting way of describing it. I mean, you certainly don't feel like that when you're watching Dawn of the Dead. Not really, because Dawn of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead has certainly has tragic moments and sad moments, but it also is. It's a movie where at one point a biker gang breaks out into a pie fight yeah. with the zombies. So Dawn of the Dead moments. hits a lot of notes. That's why I think I like Dawn of the Dead. Again, again, I love Night of the Living Dead, but Dawn of the Dead is just, that's like a top ten of all time type movie for me. That's that's certainly it, because fair. Of, because of how much of the ambition that George Romero had, and yet he was still doing it on a low budget. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up, though, uh, about this that's so crazy so uh, George Romero died I found out he actually he died the afternoon of Sunday July 16th mm-hmm. the night before that at so that weekend at the landmark Sunshine Cinema which where we also saw endless poetry I mean, yeah. and we'll talk about that in just a little bit too um, they were showing Dawn of the Dead as a midnight screening with the uh, producer of the movie, Richard Rubenstein, mm-hmm. doing a Q&A. Now, again, I, I this is me seeing Dawn of the Dead, Saturday night, midnight, 12 or 15 hours before I find out George Romero died. Yeah. But what made it especially egregious to me, uh, what, what made it stand out, at first this guy comes up and he does a little, I thought he was going to do a Q&A, but he was just introducing the movie. And at first he says the usual stuff like, wow, it's so great to see all these people here and, you know, generations have loved this movie and right. so on and so on. Then he talks about how he's planning a 3D re-release of the movie. <laughs> and I was like, I was sitting there in my seat, like, "Are you fucking serious?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then, like, he, I, I, I almost wanted to ask him, like, "Did you run this by George? Is he okay with this idea?" Like, I'm all for a re-release of Dawn of the Dead in theaters, but 3D, really. 3D is already dying, folks. 3D is... IMAX is getting rid of 3D screens. And don't... The thing, Dawn of the Dead is... Look, I almost get it for certain movies. Like, later this month, um, Terminator 2 is getting a re-release in... Like, it's getting a pretty wide re-release, too. But it's going to be in 3D. And I can almost... I mean, I'm not going to see it, but I get it. I kind of get, I do understand that thought process of, well, you know, that movie had such innovative visual effects. It might be interesting to see, like, the, that, the T-1000 all in its you liquid. You can see it go through bars in 3D. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, if you want that perspective thing, whatever. But Dawn of the Dead was almost like a grindhouse movie that had, like, a couple extra bucks. Well. Hmm. How could you, uh, no. I think Dawn of the Dead is kind of what the Grindhouse Cinema aspired to be. Mm. 
Interesting. I, I, uh, you know, it's like it, it, it was gory. It was. It was shocking. Shocking, exactly. It was. A, it was a satire uh, of consumer culture. It had. It had some thought behind it, but still, it gave you everything you wanted as a horror fan. So, it 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 was it was really well made genre film. Oh yeah. And you know, Grindhouse was just like, well, let's make what let's churn out whatever we can, fast as we can. And you know, just to make money. Yeah. Although you, that doesn't mean that people didn't, that creative people didn't work on those. Oh films. no, no, it's no. Just no. that you know, uh, I, I, I would, I would uh, put, I would put Dawn of the Dead a little bit well, higher than that sort of typical Grindhouse well, stuff. Well, it also just uh, that it, it had so much more ambition. George Romero really had, as you said, like he was doing a satire of consumers' culture of how we're basically how people were basically living there and. And it's interesting, too, because at that point in the 70s, you had malls, but they weren't this omni, you know, omnipresent thing that we have today. It's like today, you look back, it's like, you think malls were bad then? Well, welcome <laughs> to the future. Well, what's funny is, too, is that I actually I read some trivia about the movie that, that at the time they made this, the mall in Dawn of the Dead was considered like the biggest mall in the country, or wow. one of the biggest malls. You were to look at it now, and it's just, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. it is what it is. Um, but no, seeing it, but that 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 producer just really pissed me off. And then, like before he left, um, he handed out flyers for like Dawn of the Dead merchandise. That's very uh... with the with including like you know a little thing near the bottom saying Dawn of the Dead 3D coming soon. As if there are any plans. This was the first I heard about this at all. And you know me. I, I think I'm usually pretty keen on hearing about things. You're much more wired into this than I am. So and, I'll, and, I'll trust you. And the thing is, too, I later heard about this guy, Richard Rubenstein, who he, he was George Romero's producer for a lot of years. He also produced a number of Stephen King movies as well. He produced Pet Cemetery. He produced uh, well, he produced Creepshow. Right. Which, uh, you've seen Creepshow, right? I have seen Creepshow. I rewatched Creep Show, and that that movie is a lot of fun. It is. Um, it, it's funny about Creep Show. I mean, that, but, that's an excellent film. But it, it's even knowing I I've never read an EC comic or the comics of that genre. But it, but seeing that fil film, you really get a f feel for what they were all about. That they were full of miserable people miserable like, people trying doing nasty things yeah and then getting their comeuppance at the end yes and, and that's and, what it was you know that was all you know the ironic twist at the end and being very gross about it too like the 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 the, the climactic segment is involves uh thousands of cockroaches yeah i the, the sort of this uh where you it's like an episode of the twilight zone but everything is turned up to 10 yeah, it, it's, the sensationalism it, 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 is turned up to ten. The 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 twist is turned up to ten. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's I not think as you know what I mean. it's not as subtle. But there's still something going on. Yeah, if if you know what I mean. But the point I'm making though, so Richard Rubenstein produced that. But then he also like for years he had been trying with Romero and Stephen King to make an adaptation of uh, The Stand, which is one of those big cherished uh, Stephen King epic books which you know it, it would be tough to adapt that into just one movie unless if it was like six hours long 
which eventually is what happened, but on TV, not involving Romero, and done very cheaply and on the fly. And it, it, it kind of, watching that Stan miniseries that came out in the 90s, not all of it's terrible, but you watch it and think the potential that could have been there. To see, and for, if George Romero could have done this grand epic saga of uh, humanity being wiped out by a virus, and it doesn't involve zombies. It's more about, like, religion and other things. But, right. But the point I'm making, though, George Romero, he just, he was one of my heroes, and, you know, even though 77, it's not super, you know, it's not that young, per se. But I was still hoping for, you know, one last big hurrah movie. Um, Dawn of the Dead, 3D. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should see the tension in Jack's face right now. Well, you should have seen this Q&A. Like, not really Q&A, but this, this guy in front of this audience. Oh, who, no. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have wanted to be there. You would have had is, your this hands is my, this in is, your This is my nightmare. Face. I always get nervous when people show up to talk about their own movies. or, or Which we can talk about as well in a minute. But. Yeah, but I always get nervous about that because I'm always afraid that someone's going to say something or someone's going to ask kind of a dumb question. Well, it's... it's and, well, I, the, and I hate that awkwardness of, peop, of, of people trying to interact because it's like it's the excitement of seeing something someone really famous someone you admire trying to talk to people who don't necessarily understand well, what they're yeah, talking well, about well we've had that experience before too i mean we, we probably talked on the show about the the time we saw clint eastwood do a q a via skype yeah for a fistful of dollars that was not bad not I, overall. There was one. There were one there, or two dumb questions. In very. There. And I and I and I try to forget those. Every, yeah, for every the time most part, that that Q and A was okay. Um, but you know, it's just. Well, they make them stand out. Um, but no, the thing is, well, it's different if it's just introducing the movie. Hmm. Yeah, that but, that I that I feel less tense when that's happening. Yeah, but this well, guy seemed to hit the awkward notes and, well, and the introduce iron, the, the tackiness. The, 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 the right irony away. of it that this movie that is satirizing how <laughs> human beings just <laughs> consume things without thinking, and this guy is shoveling a 3D conversion of Dawn of the Dead that nobody asked for and handing out flyers. Yes. Flyers oh, yeah. for like Dawn of the Dead mugs and T-shirts and like Dawn of the Dead Pez dispensers. I don't. I, I, I think I still I have the flyer. Would, I would buy a Dawn of the Dead Pez dispenser. <laughs> when there's no more room in hell, when the you Pez will walk the earth. When you write your book about your life watching movies, you have to have like a printout of that flyer yeah. in the middle of the book as an illustration of one of your most awkward cinematic moments. Yes, exactly. This is this is your future. Maybe so. Just um, one other thing I want to say about Night of the Living Dead. Oh, please. please. I, because the because first time I movie, saw it. Yeah, because the thing is, I should mention, too, that this movie almost could have been talked about on the very first episode of this show. Because I know almost, that's, cause that's yeah. one of your favorite movies. It's one of my favorite horror films. Is okay. it my favorite horror film? No. There, there are films that I love more than that. Okay. I thought I seemed to recall that this was high up in not just horror movies but your all-time favorite it would movies. be in my top five horror movies okay i no doubt about it i but the first time i saw it i was in high school and it's like i'd seen one of those afi things where it's like oh a hundred films a hundred blah and night of the living dead was on it and you know that's how i got interested in a lot of things my library happened to have it a vhs copy right and i brought it home one afternoon and i watched it you know daylight out 
by myself in my own home and i got really nervous yeah. watching i mean, there's so much tension in that film that because of of how, of how it's the claustrophobic environment the tension between the characters the 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 whole idea that they're all surrounded by this plague of zombies that they have mm-hmm. no idea where it's come from and i probably stopped the film once just to kind of get a breather really uh, i think i did <laughs> that sounds like something yeah. i do but it was such an intense moment i'll never forget that how fantastic it, of an experience it was and i've seen night of the living dead a bunch of other times with crowds and by myself and with commentary oh. and it was and every time i watch it it's a delight to watch yeah they're, they're, they 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 apparently well, I, I've even seen the remake and even though that the remake's okay and even though it's a little bit junky you can enjoy it for what it they, is they 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 did a lot of changes in the remake which also Romero wrote I should add um that it, it because you see that original movie and a lot of things almost were kind of by accident that people then you have that that extra element after a movie comes out where you have the critical analysis and context and all that for example with Dwayne Jones as the as the main guy in the movie uh of course everybody read into that like oh this is you know we're we're in 1968 and you know all the, the racism and all these things happening and George Romero's like no, he's just the best actor we knew yeah Th- that was it and then afterwards I, as we were shooting then we were kind of like Oh uh, yeah, I guess this uh, that moment where he picks up the gun and shoots the white guy. It's a little, eh. but um, but it resonated. Even if yeah. it's by accident, people felt that it meant something, even though it never, mm-hmm. it, even though it didn't come from a moment. Well, that there, also but. had satire in a way. Not so much. I don't know if satire is the word because you're not laughing watching it, but the commentary aspect of it is just this idea that you know you have you know horror movies up until that point. Not not all the time, but a good lot of the time, it's just like kind of escapism. It's you know? kind of like whereas in this there's... movie, it's really about something. It's about how people in the real world right now can't get along at all, and yeah. this is really going to screw us over someday. Yeah, you're right. Um, I don't know if I interrupted you though. No, I think I think I've said all I need to say. It's, okay, it's but you know George Romero. I haven't seen enough of your films, but. I treasure you. <laughs> oh, you, God. Never, you don't know. Oh, on, God, the way, the, the... On, our, on our religious podcast, we can discuss whether George Romero can hear us from well, beyond the grave. Well, of course, the running gag that kind of got old for me as soon as I saw it was, eh, he'll be back. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> other movies by him I, I want to recommend, though, before I get off, because he, he, so, he, he was day one of those of filmmakers dead. who, well, yeah, Day of the Dead, uh, sure, that, that that's fun. Love it, it or hate it. Well... I actually, there was a time where I didn't like the movie, and I, I sort of thought, like, oh, this is way too serious and too, like, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't like the tone of this. I've grown to actually kind of like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've grown to like it quite a bit, especially, just some of the acting in the movie, like some of the army guys in it, like the, I'm going to back up my mic a little bit, because I'm about to say something. I'm running this monkey show, Frankenstein! <laughs> I want to know what you're doing with my time! So you've seen David? I've seen parts of it. I've not seen the whole thing. You should check out the whole thing because it, 
especially the George, George Romero behind the camera is like, okay, louder and with more veins bulging. Well, it's funny that I, re- I read a review of Dawn of the Dead by Pauline Kale where I guess because she was really impressed with Night of the Living Dead, but she was like, eh, this movie, Dawn of the Dead, it's such a gore show. I wonder what she thought Day of the Dead. <laughs> Welcome they, they, to the future. Where the thing I remember about Day of the Dead was the moment where the zombies are pulling the guy's head off and he's screaming as they're pulling it off and you hear all of a sudden his voice rise up into like and it just stops and his jaw is still moving oh god yeah there are some vicious things in that um but also i'm uh he made a movie called night riders with ed harris Hmm. which i think you would find interesting if you ever want to track this movie down it's actually his you could almost say his camelot movie set in modern day it involves these guys on motorcycles who it's like imagine the hell's angels crossed with renfair oh wait a minute do you know what i'm talking about i've heard this before yeah it's it's this weird movie about like ed harris leads this troop of these guys who go around like the country doing these shows like as if it's as if they're old knights, but they're on motorcycles. And they're, like, charging towards each other, but they're still jousting. Yeah. And they're doing, you know, tricks like you might see at medieval times, but on motorcycles. Please tell me that they have to stop or foil a crime <laughs> using their nightly motorcycle skills. I, I don't remember. It's been a while because since Because then I've it seen becomes it. like, like, like Jim Cotta. Where it's like, I oh, I, I have to use my gymnastic skills to fight people and win this world tournament thing. Yeah. Um, he also made a number of other zombie movies. He, Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, we actually brought him up, I think, really briefly on our Mummy episode. Because he had been attached yeah. for a while in the 90s. He was caught in what they call development hell, where he got paid a lot of money by Hollywood, but nothing ever came of it, where he almost made the the mummy remake do you think there are directors who make their living by working on movies that are in development hell and then get their paycheck (laughs) and move on to another development hell movie that would be interesting if that was the plan i think usually they want to make that would be like a character in like a film noir he's like a director who hasn't directed anything he just earns his money by keeping films in development hell you're that you should pitch that to the Cohen brothers. They All probably right. would enjoy that. Cohen brothers, I know you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> Send me an email at wagesofcinema.com slash Andrew's Ideas dot edu. Yes. Um I, I I and I actually kind of enjoy, I do enjoy his lighter day Living Dead movies. I know that they're kind of maligned by the public. Uh um but his very last movie is his weak is one of his weaker ones, uh, Survival of the Dead, but it has an amazing final shot. It has one of the best final shots a director making you his blew last it movie. Up. Well, almost. Well, it's this shot of these two because like uh, the movie is almost like a western, but with zombies on this island. It's hard to describe, but the end of the movie, you see this shot of this giant moon, you know, over like the landscape. And on each side of, like, this field, one zombie's standing and then the other zombie's standing. I'll have to show you this shot, because it's just, uh... It's kind of remarkable. Zombies go to the moon. Yeah. 
And then he also, like, another movie I, I, I really defend as, uh, and I feel like one of the only defenders of this uh, is, Di- is Diary of the Dead, which was his, like, found, sort of found footage, but not found footage take on the zombie genre. And, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really going to miss him. He Afternoon of the Dead. <laughs> oh, but the long dark oh, I should, time of the dead. Well, well, here's a uh, well, here's an addendum. Which when I first when I heard this news, this is this has only been announced a month before he died. He and this other guy were going to make a movie called Road of the Dead, <laughs> which would have been like Mad Max with zombies, where I guess zombies have learned how to drive. Okay, this this is terrible. Yeah, I I don't know how I feel, felt about it when I first heard it, but now that George Romero's dead, this guy's like, I'm gonna make this movie to honor George Romero, and I'm like, uh, No, you won't. Uh, I don't know. Good luck. Yeah, buddy. So, so that um... happened. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, and well, there also there are other things that happened too while we were gone. Sam uh, Shepard died. Yeah, he died too. Uh, that that made me kind of uh, sad. I, I'm a I'm a big fan of this film that he wrote uh, called Paris, Texas, mm-hmm. um, with Harrodine Her- Stanton giving the performance of his career as this guy who wanders in from as if it seems like out of nowhere, and he, at first he can't talk, and then little by little he suddenly speaks again, and you find out about he has this whole past, and it's a really remarkable movie. I, I-, I want to spoil He's it. He's like America's Casper Hauser. And in that movie, maybe that's not a bad comparison. Um, but Casper of course, Hauser reference yeah. achieved. <laughs> yes, but I'm I'm guessing that you 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 remember him from uh, the right stuff. Yeah, as of course he was. Uh, that was what he got he got nominated for an Oscar as. Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Chuck Yeager. Yeah, Chuck Yeager. Um, First man to break the sound barrier. Yeah, and live. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was just always a solid presence in movies. He always popped up in things. It's like, oh, Sam Shepard. We know we have a little bit of quality here. Right. He was in uh, uh, Days of Heaven, the Terrence Malick movie. It's funny. I cannot say that for Anthony Hopkins all the time, considering how oh. many times he pops up in films. And it's like, oh, we can enjoy something in this film. Nope. <laughs> Same thing goes for Peter O'Toole. <laughs> Oh, what? You don't like when Piero Tool pops up in Caligula? <laughs> Where he just pops up full of syphilis and just barks the whole time. <laughs> that was his whole performance. Piero Tool, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, and Anthony Hopkins. Now that you've been in Transformers 5, you. Uh, that's all. Him and that. Can movie... I hold it against him? I don't know. Logically, no. But deep down in my heart, yes, I do feel like He almost is making an argument for why Jack Nicholson shouldn't make so many movies. Maybe he is having the right idea sitting out this decade in cinema. So he doesn't have to talk to, uh, where am I? Uh, Bumblebee? Uh, Can you do that thing? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I like this Transformers. He basically, I, I've listened to, I haven't, obviously I haven't seen Last Night, because fuck that movie, but I've seen, I've listened to some <laughs> clips, and Anthony Hopkins was basically cast in the last, in the Transformers movie that came out this summer, as basically slash 
as exposition machine slash doddering old man, <laughs> Sir Anthony Hopkins, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that's almost like, you know, being being knighted doesn't mean crap anymore, man. Patrick Stewart was in the Emoji movie as poop. Yeah, all right. Oh. <laughs> all right, we should move on. Um, we didn't really, do, We I want to move on to something else entirely, which I kind of hinted at a little bit earlier. We didn't record a full episode talking about this, but you and I saw another movie this past month. Yeah. Um, and it's still playing in very limited release. Uh, it may be in a city, it might be playing near you. Um, if not, but may, maybe you could check this out on DVD when it comes out. Um, Alejandro Jodorowsky has a new film. Yep, Endless Poetry. ¿Cuál es el sentido de la vida? El cerebro hace preguntas, el corazón da las respuestas. La vida no tiene sentido. ¡Vive! ¡Vive! Poesía. Alumbrarás mi camino como una mariposa que arde. Yes. Well, it eventually has an end. Right. In this case. Now, <laughs> you know me. I am a big fan of plot. Okay. I'm a big fan of stories. And so with so this film did not give me that. Hmm. It gave me basically a Alejandro Jodorowsky's sort of autobiography about his about his uh his young adulthood. Yes, and we and we I should and, mention uh, basically that's what I expected. Yeah, well well the thing is too uh we we I'd also shown you uh, this is the second part of, I guess, what we could almost call like an autobiography cycle or something. Uh, now that he's in his 80s, going on 90, he's just like, eh, I'm going to wrap up my life and give you my I'm going to wrap it up and get out of here, yeah, guys, before it, I do. It, well, a few years back, he did a movie called The Dance of Reality. Now, Dance of Reality is a film I really enjoy. Yes. And what Dance of Reality had that Endless Poetry does not hmm. is that it has more of Brontus Jodorowsky as Jodorowsky's father. Hmm. And he ended up being the most interesting part of that film because I had this sense that Jodorowsky was trying to come to grips with his relationship with his father. And he continues to do that in in a, in a little bit in this movie too. Right, but Brontus doesn't but Brontus is in it as his father, but whatever the heck Alejandro Jodorowsky's father's name was, he Hi, Jaime Right, Jaime Jodorowsky. He doesn't show up too mu a lot in Endless Poetry. He does a little. It's bit. not about him. Meanwhile, uh, Dance of Reality was almost about Jodorowsky's father. Mm -hmm. He goes on this misadventure, ostensibly to kill the the dictator of Argentina, not Argentina, uh, of Chile. Yeah. I think he lived in Chile, right? Dictator yes. of Latin American country. <laughs> But that and that send your hate mail to us for getting this mixed up. Wait, just send it to gmail.com. The, the address is 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> but the the but and he and Jaime has this misadventure of trying to assassinate this dictator and he's unable to do it for weird reasons. And then weird things happen to him. And in the end, he becomes this more human person. And I feel like none of this seemed to have really happened. Well, it's a movie. It's it's all made up. Well, yeah, but we're well, talking taken about from his life, I guess. It's taken from his life, well, and I feel like none of the stuff with his father happened because during it, Alejandro is not present. 
So, uh, so he's I feel, imagining this. Yeah, and I feel, well, you, you and I'm know not that, taking, but... and I'm not taking him to tap, even if it's not real. I don't care because to me, even if it's not real, it's about Jodorowsky trying to find some sort of way to understand his father through this okay. sort of weird adventure, adventure, imagining him as maybe a man who had the, th- I mean, because you know. We both have fathers. We think we know them, but there's always that part about them where that we don't understand what they're really like. Yeah, they're always like our dad, pa- but they're but they're they're men like you and I. Yeah, Papa, and I, Papa was a Rolling Stone, right? <laughs> and that and that's what I really admired because Jodorowsky was able to say, you know, you were kind of a crappy father, but I'm yeah. going to give you the benefit of the doubt yeah. because you are my dad, and this is how I'm going to remember you. That's what Dance of Reality seems to be to me. Okay. Now, when it comes to endless poetry, it's more about Jodorowsky, which is great, but it didn't have that sort of strong sense of mm. it didn't ha- it didn't it didn't seem to like hold together in, around a sort of theme or see I, I it was it seemed more like an accounting of events that happened in his life with his own sort of Jodorowsky and twist. I, I I gotta disagree with you because I think the endless poetry for me. What was interesting was that in the first movie, because Joe Roski himself, that's when he's a kid. So in the first half of the movie, we're kind of following him on sort of a few misadventures here and there. Both this and Endless Poetry, and I don't know whether Joe Roski will say this or not, it's very Fellini. In particular, hmm. Fellini Armacord, which now, was I also haven't... Fellini's story of the 30s. Now, that's the thing. I haven't seen Armacord. I don't, no, no, no. That, that, that's fine. I, I know that... It's basically just a reference. And it's not that I don't like Fellini. You you know I like Fellini. I know. We talked about the Syracom (laughs) before. But no, but, um, but I, uh, but in this, but in Endless Poetry, I thought that the, the, the thrust of the movie was about, um, him trying to find who he is as an artist and it being sometimes a very difficult process considering the kinds of characters who are kind of coming in and out of his life and also that, um, I think a thing that Corey brought up after, because she saw the movie with us too, um, she compared it to the musical Rent, <laughs> which uh, I, I haven't seen. I Rent, believe she but said I've, this is a much better version of Rent. Yeah, well, the thing in Rent, and I haven't seen that, but I've seen uh, reviews of it and long, extensive video essays about it. Um, yeah. Uh, the the thing about Rent that is so grating is that it's about these young artist types in new york city in the 80s who just seem like completely irresponsible assholes who are you know think we don't have to have any responsibility at all we are just because we're artists. artists yeah and there's a touch of that in endless poetry but it has a but, different but sensibility he doesn't come off as an irresponsible person no he, there's, I, he there's has a problems joy as an artist yeah he has problems but it's not like he's blowing them off and there are no consequences. No, no, exactly. This this is, I will say, it seems like a much more accurate picture of who of what an artist is. Yeah. Than a film or a musical like Rent. And it maybe that's maybe that sort of touched me in a certain way. Maybe it was just a personal thing that maybe connected with me a little bit more than you did. That it was just like. I, I've, I've kind of had that thing in my life of being surrounded by groups of people who are really creative and we, we might not have much money or any money at all, but we're going to try to do these things to 
express our creativity. We're going to walk in a straight line no matter what happens. Yes, yes that's, that's a really fun sequence that happens in this movie where Jodorowsky meets this other uh, poet, and the two of them decide just one day, we're going to walk in a straight line. We're not going to go around any buildings. We're going to go through people's houses. We're, we're going to go through a parking garage. And get chased by dogs. We're going to do these things no matter what. It almost it had that kind of freedom here and there of like watching like a French New Wave movie. And I could I could grant you that it is more it is episodic. So is yeah. Dance of Reality. True. You could say. I, I guess though what I'm saying though is because too, I, I would think that you would kind of expect though that with Jodorowsky plot is has now not always been his strong suit. No, but the thing I'm and I, I'm okay with a plot not necessarily building with to anything as long as it's filled with memorable things. This is filled with a lot of memorable things. It is, things. but the thing is is like think about a film like El Topo. Now, this is not quite fair. This is like one of his earliest films and it's a film I really like. But think about like El Topo and the Holy Mountain. A lot those have very memorable moments, but they seem to but most of them really cap off in a conclusion. They have a thrust. They, they, they have a spine. They're encapsulated, and they have some structure to them. Even though they don't always string together, mm-hmm. each moment seems to have a conclusion, and each moment seems to build towards something else. I think that what they, you're the, touching on, I'm sorry. Uh, and and then Dance of Reality seems like, well, that thing where they walk in a straight line is fine. Well, you mean Endless Poetry. Endless Poetry. Like Sorry, I thought you said Dance of Reality. Endless Poetry, okay. I, I mean. That's okay. They, they're walking in a straight line, which is great. And they reach that part where they're chased by the dogs. And then that scene sort of ends. And then you have other things. It's like the film where there's that big parade of skeletons and devils. That happens and that sort of ends. And then there's the the thing where it's like, oh, I met this woman and we have this stormy relationship. And that just sort of ends. And I'm not sure at the end what that was all about when, when, the, when those scenes end. Now, I'm probably going to see this again. So, maybe I'll, so you know, I'll, I'll see if if that's, I'll see if that, if if that works. But even though all these things seem to string together and sort of a chronology of Joey Rossi's life, there wasn't sort of a conclusion where it's like we took a beat and said this is over, and this moment is finished. Maybe. I mean, I I mean, I love the movie. I will get, I will say one tiny criticism. It seems like the. The father is there in kind of like sort of more of the first part of the movie. Because what happens is right. Joe Roski kind of goes through two ages in this. He's kind of an adolescent in the first maybe 20 minutes yeah. or half hour. And then the rest of the movie, he's more of like either a he's late teenager adult. or an, he's an adult by then. And that's when he's really trying to be a poet in and, and uh, he, this village he's in. But the father and he goes then out goes on away. his own, so he doesn't even see his father. His Not father really. Involved. Yeah. But then the father pops up near the end. There's this random scene where the father and mother pop up. They're like, our house burned down! We lost all the money! Yeah, that actually has... I've replayed that scene a lot in the <laughs> in, in the week since we've seen it. Because he's so pissed at him in that scene. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because it's like, even though we haven't seen you for a while in the movie, you're really making your mark right now. <laughs> And I, I, I he, love Brontus Jodorowsky as Jaime Jodorowsky. Well, he lo- and he also looks well. Brontus Jodorowsky, yeah, I love him as, as in the character. I love his mother who sings every single line of dialogue. <laughs> That's a very and Jodorowsky who, and, touch. And that actress also plays Alejandro Jodorowsky's lover. And read into that what you will, psychology. Read maybe. away. Yeah, and she oh she does a great job as that 
as that love interest. Yeah. Um, but I I think for me what why I think it 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 works in a different way than something like El Topo or The Holy Mountain. Even though you could tell it's the same guy who made the, the those movies, this is much more of a character driven movie. It mm. almost has more of like that what I would see in European films or art house films where the spine is more about the character's journey. And even though, yeah, by you think that, okay, this scene happened, oh, that now it ends, then this happens, now this ends. By the very end of it, though, um, just like in the first movie, there's this, they both, both movies end in the same way where um, the character is leaving off of a pier, and there are all these cardboard black and white cutouts yeah. that have been arranged on the pier I, I, as I, if there is memories. I love it when Jodorowsky does that. Yeah, oh, and I love to Jodorowsky himself pops up in the film too. Mm. He's almost kind of like the ghost of the future or something. Or yeah, and I it, always and I always like that sort of theme in films where it's like, or or in anything, I, I always love the future self trying to communicate with the younger self, even though it's never like, watch out, don't do this. It's always it's like it's like a sort of atonement between both of those things. Yeah. That's something I enjoy. I'm just not I'm just not a huge fan of those sort of character driven films. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I mean it's it's just something that's never really kindled or, me. I prefer something that's a little more structured. Or or so, a, you know or a more concrete or at a more concrete level Yes, there are the movies made up of moments, but the moments really added up for me. And I was never bored. Uh, I was, even though it is not, you know, it's over two hours. There is a, there was one moment I did find at first a little out of place where um, the dictator comes back, and I felt like by this point in the movie, oh, this is a, this is getting a little too long. But then the movie ends. So yeah. It's like okay. Um, so yeah, but I would say though, if you if if you love Jodorowsky's films. Um, again, who knows how, hopefully he continues to make movies. He seems like one of those guys who, uh, I don't know, must've, uh, really faced God and said, like, go to hell and hopefully he'll live past a hundred. Who knows? Maybe he'll, you know, I hope so. Well, it, I, but he, we were lucky enough. We got to see him. He yes, came out and, and that's what and we, spoke. that's what, and that's why I mentioned before in talking about Richard Rubenstein, that was the odd thing where. Two nights in a row, I had uh, interesting introductions to films. Nice. Um, you know, Richard Rubenstein's one was very awkward. The one with Jorowski was pretty moving because he, because the thing is, in the in these movies, he casts his family as his family members. So his son Brontus plays his father. His other son Adon Adon plays uh, Him. himself, and then of course Jorowski shows up as well. Um, and that's 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 in keeping with things he's done through his career. I mean, and I the very opening of El Topo is him had his naked son behind him as, as he was playing the, the titular character. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I think he was also like one of his sons was in Santa Sangre. Yes. Yeah, maybe that was Brontus. I don't remember. I don't think so. Maybe it was Axel. He has a lot of he has a lot of kids, um, but here's to you, Joe Roski. I'm raising up my glass. Continue fighting the good fight for cinema. And I think you have achieved your goal. You made a film that will lose money. Yes, yes, that was he. That was the, that was something that he mentioned in his introduction to the movie. He was like, 
I, I, I don't make this movie to to make money. I, I make this uh, to, to I make lose this money. Film to lose money. <laughs> if you've seen Jodorowsky's Dune, you know who you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so changing subject. Um, so you wanted to bring up uh, Comic Con trailers. Yeah, just a few. Uh, I was I, I was really excited to see another Thor Ragnarok trailer. Yeah, and I, I feel like I, I'm very optimistic about this Thor film because it looks like fun. You know, it, it it looks it definitely looks like an improvement over Thor: The Dark World. Yeah, I mean the first two Thor films were kind of lackluster. I I like the uh, first one for what it is, which is basically like a, a be- successful Thor film. It's a better version of Masters of the Universe. <laughs> you know, you know, you're not wrong. But the thing was, it was. It, remember that was back at the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and people were like, "Is this Thor film gonna work out?" Well, well, the, and well, it but, did. But, well, people didn't know because by that point, you had had two Iron Man, you had two Iron Man movies and a Hulk movie. That that didn't mean anything. Yeah. That, that that's just movies. And that, Thor that, that's was not a universe. And, and Hulk was successful, but not wild. In a way, successful. Thor and Captain America were were kind of maybe I don't know if they were the most important movies, but. Uh, but they were the ones that kind of said, "Okay, we're going to really try this." I think they proved that 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 Marvel Studios was committed to the whole thing. Exactly. And you know, after that came Avengers, and Avengers just sealed the deal. Yeah, of course. I um, mean, when, once Avengers came out and was a huge hit, it, it could not every everything else could not be stopped. Yeah, but I think with Thor: The Dark World, and again, I didn't, I didn't hate Thor: The Dark World or anything. It was just. It was there. Okay. It was okay. And Thor kind of gets by on this sort of TV sitcom humor so far. Yeah. Well, also it was too, it was the thing too where in the sequel they, you know, they brought back the same characters we had in the first movie. Only here they're they're wackier. You have Stone Starscard being his wacky self, and you have uh, Natalie Portman kind of being not much of a character. No. Um, and, I don't, I don't and even remember. And of course, the thing too that that is the quintessential example. I think. Well, you could also say Guardians, the first one, but that is the quintessential example of a forgettable villain. Of Matt, what was it? Not Mads Mikkelsen. Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. Oh man, poor Christopher Eccleston. He's such I, a good I keep actor. saying that for a lot of Marvel films. Poor Christopher Eccleston. Poor. <laughs> Poor, what the hell poor is Lee Pace. Poor Lee Pace. Um, and, you know, poor, uh, perhaps poor Kate Blanchett. But <laughs> Would you say poor Hugo Weaving? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. no. Well, no. I, don't, he, I don't know if he was really that he, memorable as Red He Skull. was okay. Uh, he was he was okay. They He was in the film enough, and he was distinct enough. I mean, he was... Was playing a Nazi. Yeah. Whereas, that's that's like yeah. that's like a such a stock role that everybody sort of does it, and you kind of enjoy it. Yeah. But, well, I would say though, though, that now you have this movie, which feels like it has a lot of. Uh, this sounds like a really typical <laughs> thing to say, but it has a lot of color. Oh yeah. It, Thor Ragnarok looks like it's going to have the most shots, which are also metal album covers. <laughs> Metal slash prog rock album covers. Yes. Uh, uh, you, you could take any frame of this movie and it could be like a King Crimson or uh, or like Dokken album or something like that. Take your pick. I'll have to trust you because I don't. I, I only know metal in theory. All right. <laughs> but, um, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it, I, it's very dynamic. It's very much... Um, 
I guess taking a cue from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I know that yeah. they, I know that they were well. I know that these movies were being made independently of each other, but they're under the same studio. I I'm think sure that, I think the Thor world and Guardians of the Galaxy are drawing closer together. Well, what probably happened was you had Guardians of the Galaxy being made after the the, the first two Thor movies, where maybe James Gunn or the Marvel people behind him were like, let's try to make this a little more colorful, a little more fun. We're out in space after all. Uh, they didn't yeah. learn all their lessons yet, but Volume 2 really fired on all cylinders. Oh, yeah. And I'm hopeful for this one. I mean, I the one thing that... And God, I love I love him so much. He's one of my favorite Marvel villains, Tom Hiddleston. Could that become a little tired by now? He well, the thing now is we're now, we've this is now his fourth film as a. I know they're doing the reversal where now he's fighting on Thor's side, but didn't he? He did that in the Dark World. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, I don't think we're gonna hurt from more Tom Hiddleston. And I don't, I'm not making what, what, that into like a I, thing that's what oh, I'm, I'm grateful I'm for is that we're actually jettisoning a lot of the stuff that kind of made Thor unmemorable, like an unmemorable performance by Anthony Hopkins, an unmemorable performance by Natalie Portman. I neither here, of those here are we any... have Jeff Goldblum being his Goldblumiest. Yeah, and, and we don't have to worry about Thor being on Earth and this weird and stuff. We have, and we I, have Kate Blanchett, who even if it turns out. You know, again, we can, you can only judge so much by a trailer. Even if she turns out to be bad, she looks like she'll be memorably bad. Oh yeah, she she's eating it up in that trailer. Yeah, she, uh, like she, she she she's taking all of the parts of Lord of the Rings where Galadriel's like, rawr, 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 rawr. <laughs> that's exactly how yeah, whatever the hell that was all about in Lord of the Rings. She she's pulling that out, but uh, yeah, she gets to mug for the camera in this as a villain. So you know, fine. I'm it a little great. here's here's a question: Should Hulk talk? Yes. I don't know I because some that. of the funniest moments in the Avengers cartoon, Earth's Mightiest Hero- Heroes, were when Thulk Falk. <laughs> were when that's when they're gonna merge. Where when where when Hulk had conversations, very brief conversations, yeah. but memorable. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I, well, you know what it is? It's because it, it was funny in Avengers when he just said, puny god. Yeah, he said... He, 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 <coughs> but, you know, we haven't seen Hulk in a long time. Not since Avengers 2. Yeah. I so, you know, so. he's back and he's going to be a major character. He's got to talk. It, it's going to be fun to Mark see Ruffalo him in a movie. Mark Ruffalo can't carry all the weight. Well, it is fu- <laughs> it'll, it'll be fun to see him in a movie where it's just him and, uh, and, and Thor. And Mark Ruffalo, of course, is you know, a really fantastic actor. So I'm, I'm hopeful also the director, I've, I've probably talked about this on another podcast. Uh, Taika Watiti is a very impressive director. Um, whether he'll bring the sensibility he had in whatever it was in what we do in the shadows. And... Whether he does whatever he does in this film, we don't know. <laughs> so let's move on to the point I'm trying to make, which is, that I saw the Justice League trailer. And you just showed that to me, which I, I hadn't watched the newest one um, before we record. I think the reason why I didn't check it out was because... Lack of enthusiasm? Well, no, not... Well, but, no, I, when we saw Dunkirk, and then I saw Dunkirk a second time, they played the same Justice League trailer, mm. and it was the same weekend as Comic-Con, but I was just like, I'm not going to watch another Justice League trailer. Not right now. I feel like I've seen enough with Aquaman going like, yeah! <laughs> and like jumping off of a truck. You seemed you seemed so skeptical when we saw that scene. 
Gee, I wonder why. Could it be because Aquaman goes, yeah! And, and then jumps like he's in a cartoon. Now I have nothing against Aquaman. And in theory, I have nothing against Justice League. And Aquaman could be fine in it. Except, here's the thing. What's your problem with this? Justice League seems to suffer from from uh, Batman v Superman syndrome. Which is way? heavy lines that are lobbed like cinder blocks across the stage. I mean, for God's sake, here's, here's, here, here are the cra- here are the dumb lines that are in this trailer. It's like, Wonder Woman's like, they said the age of heroes would never come. And Bruce Wayne's like, it has to. And I'm like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? <laughs> oh, here's another one. It's like, Commissioner Gordon, how many of you are there? Batman's like, not enough. It's like, okay. Thanks for being, uh, for being upbeat about this. Here's the thing I'm, I'm kind of hoping out. Uh, that I'm hoping for, though, because I, are, are you aware of the fact that there is now massive reshoots going on yes. for Justice League? And you know who's supervising it? Who? Joss Whedon. Really? Well, it's it's almost for it's it's actually for pretty tragic reasons. Well, yeah, Zack Snyder has um it's just, uh, has had yeah, a loss. Yeah, and you know that um, that's terrible. And, I, and, yet, I, and I and I hate the fact that you know, but. We, it certainly doesn't help the film, but, you know, this sort of thing is not convenient. I cannot hold that against that. No, 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 no. I mean... I, but the thing is, it's the same... These are the same problems I saw in the film that we're not supposed to talk about anymore. Batman v Superman. Are we not supposed to talk about it anymore? I try not to, because I get angry. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you say its name? Don't. Uh... <laughs> but it's like it's like the film is being marketed to seven-year-olds. <laughs> it's marketed to seven-year-olds, but they are like they're seven-year-olds who read heavy metal magazine and listen to like emo that's meant for sixteen-year-olds and and stuff. Which probably was, is was that you, no. seven-year-old Jack? No, I know what you mean though. There there is a part of what when you watch that trailer. There are part there are things that seem like yeah well oh and, and it's it's like it's weird because it, it's schizophrenic because part of it knows that it should be aimed towards kids but the other half of it feels like it's aimed towards thirty five year old bearded white guys you well I don't have a beard but right thank you um but it, but it's uh and. Oh, the, the, right. the Justice League is probably a good poster child example for the problems with a lot of comic book movies today. And I realized what part of the problem is when I saw the Thor Ragnarok trailer. It's not just that I was looking forward to Thor more than Justice League. It's like it was just every more excited. On every like every level. interesting thing in the Thor trailer had to do with characters that had been built over several years. Yes, I Hulk and Thor are having a conversation. Thor is talking to Bruce Banner, and they have an interesting exchange, and and it's just funny, and it's funny because we know these characters, and Justice League does not have that luxury. Well, I, Hulk, everyone knows who Batman is now. Everybody knows who Wonder Woman is, but we don't understand. But they don't have a relationship to each other or with any of the other people. It in hasn't that film. really been developed enough. I mean, you had Wonder Woman pop up a couple times in the movie that shall not be named, but yeah. they didn't really develop much stuff between them. They just kind of traded lines 
and then you mean you mean <laughs> lobbed lines at each other, hoping that one would would force a reaction. <laughs> I just but you're right. It's almost like as if dialogue are like spitballs or something. Right, it's the the characters in Thor Ragnarok. I mean, even talking about Thor and Loki. We know their relationship. They also have a lot of charisma, whereas you watch Justice League, and here's the ironic part. I'm about to mention Jeremy Irons. Yes. That's a real bad thing. There's a moment in the trailer where Jeremy, like this character Cyborg, who I barely know, and I feel like I've read in a lot of comics, but I don't know who the fuck Cyborg is. And I'm watching this, and... I, he and Alfred have certainly never met. Yeah, but then, well, there's this moment where Cyborg is talking to him, and Alfred's like, excuse me, but who are you? The humor from that line comes from the very fact that they have no relationship to each other. <laughs> is it funny, even though it's still true? It's one of those, like, not cinema... Not really. It's, like one of those it's not inherently it's like, funny. It's like one of those cinema sins moments, where it's like, character points out that they don't know each other, but it's still a sin. Ding. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, and I'm, I'm, and of course, this is because DC is not in the same position as Marvel. No, they're not. Well, well, they're also and much. They're, they're much more craven and calculating because they. Again, wow. It, yeah, I wasn't going to say that. D, I, that I think DC I'm was craven. That. Okay. Are you kidding? After Suicide Squad, no way. At like, least I enjoyed Suicide Squad. I enjoyed a few couple of things about Suicide Squad. I mean, Suicide Squad that is, was still is, kind of a Suicide Squad is still dumb. It was, it was not a good. I actually don't think it's. A good, I actually have soured on that movie since I first saw it. I, I know it's not as good as when I first saw it, but I understand now why I thought, what why I was more it, it was more the, agreeable. The, to the, me. The, the difference between the two studios is like the difference between as as you probably know as being a teacher and I do. It's the difference between a student that has been showing up to class, if not every day, then at least like ninety percent of the classes. And has been handing in the homework and doing the sometimes work. Sometimes you're late, sometimes you have a sick yeah, day, but you but, show but up you, when you can. Yeah, and you often That's are, Marvel, and you're I often think, doing and you're often doing impressive work. DC is the kid that shows up once a week at best, and and maybe I'm going by college schedules because yeah. I'm a little different. Uh, but That's they, important to the metaphor. They, they they only show up sometimes. They show up late. They have excuses, and their work doesn't show effort. Their their, their work just has save martha <laughs> they, they, they don't do the work they need to do the work of making us care that's why and I, I, I know i know that we're not going to agree on this movie ever but that's why i liked wonder woman because at least it felt like they were doing the work of getting us to like this character to whether certain... or not it worked for the audiences well but it felt like it was a different approach. I, than they Batman certainly v put Superman. a lot more work into Wonder Woman than they put into the other films they've put out so far. Yeah. I but, and I understand DC's bind. They have to get on this as soon as possible. Otherwise, if they take their time, the whole thing could pass them by. Well, it's and, not. Well, it's, it's what I think they're doing now, though. They're. I don't know if this is course correcting per se, but I'm hearing that they're going to do a solo Batman movie. All right, with Ben Affleck, which I'm, that could be good. I like Ben Affleck as I Batman. Like ben Affleck he's too. fine. Uh, they're also they're bringing in the guy who's done the uh, Planet of the Apes movies from the past several years. Okay, and um and by, and I actually saw the new one, World for the Planet of the Apes, since we last did the podcast, which is really good. I, I recommend that movie to everybody. Um, but uh, so maybe he can bring something different to it. Maybe he is, and I think he's actually. 
ordering script rewrites and things like that. Because originally Ben Affleck was going to write, direct, and star as in the Batman, which... That would have been interesting, because at least we could have laid all the blame on him. Huh, yeah, maybe. That would have been fun. I, now I'm the but then only... again, Ben Affleck might be a Batman genius, yeah. and I wouldn't know it. And now, and, and the thing is, though, for, for Justice League... Zack Snyder's tragedy notwithstanding, I'm almost curious, a little more curious to see the movie, just to see if I might be able to spot the touches that Joss Whedon has. We're in the gonna movie. see it. You heard it here, folks. We'll see it. I'm the month after the My Little Pony movie. No wait, thanks for the same week. Are they? <laughs> I think so. No, we have to look that up. November, the beginning right. of November. Right? But going back to the Comic Con trailers, though, uh, so there was one other one that we should talk about because you yeah. hadn't seen this, and I've seen this a couple of times because it's actually played in theaters, not just online. Um, the trailer for Ready Player One. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that movie, if only because I'm a Spielberg fan. Ready Player One. Just from seeing that trailer, it has a lot of shades of a lot of things I've seen before. It has shades of Tron into it. Oh yeah. It has shades of a lot of japanese anime uh yeah specifically this one thing called sword art online which uh, you haven't heard of and that's okay it's not that great uh <laughs> thank you for yeah no no but it has but, i uh, can definitely but, but feel in, that anime, in, in anime there's always been that sort of the idea of living in the virtual world and, of course and you know this is this is your life online as opposed to who you really are in real life and uh i'm interested to see their take on it yeah, well, they, it's based on a pretty popular book. Uh, books don't matter. No, wait, that's TV. <laughs> Never mind. Books do matter. Mistake. Corrected. Read Delete. the book. Um, but yeah, no, I um, I, and it, I mean, there are a couple of things about the trailer that are a little the the trailer obnoxious. as this is this is basically the teaser. This is cons- this is the concept. Yeah, it's a concept. And, you know, we don't know the plot yet. I want to see what they do with the concept. Yeah. Well, uh, so well, until then, I have no positive or negative from about from it. quote cinematic game changer Steven Spielberg. Yeah, what the hell was with that? <laughs> it, it, re, watch the Ready Gamer One trailer, and you'll see like in the oh. in the credits, it's like from visionary. From, no, what no, is no. It? From cinematic game changer Steven Spielberg. Yeah, from cinematic game changer Steven Spielberg. And it also says, and from the book that shook the pop culture world, or something like that. Well, that's okay because we don't. No one knows who that guy and is. And look, I, I love everyone Spielberg, knows Steven Spielberg, but, but I don't think he's ever put on his business card cinematic game changer. No, I thought he had. He like might a tiny, be. You I, could argue that he is. Yeah, but just but he putting that, that in front of someone's name. That's like. That this makes is, Quentin Tarantino look humble. This is the Titanic, the unsinkable ship. That's that's how this <laughs> that, feels. That, that, that makes James Cameron at his Oscar win seem humble. Yes. I'm the king of the world! Woo! At least... At least, though, when the trailer for Avatar 2 comes out, it's not going to be like, from the king of the world... James Cameron. See, that would actually that would make me laugh to see if he had the balls to do that. Well, now that now that we put it out there, now it's funny. Yeah, <laughs> but I'd like to. That's a very strange thing. Yeah, to, to put in front of Steven Spielberg's name. Yeah, like, I mean, because Steven Spielberg, I, 
It doesn't. It doesn't feel like something Steven Spielberg says. Like, no. you know, you know, while we, when we no, put out doesn't. this trailer, I think you should put "cinematic game changer" in front of my name. Well, also, no, that doesn't feel right. And even if, look, I know the movie's about video games, but even as a pun, it sucks. Yeah. Uh, I hope he's not crawling up his own ass or something by now. That would be. Better, you know? Are you saying this is like Steven D- Steven Spielberg's like mental spiral uh, now that he's old? <laughs> because I could argue that it started with War of the Worlds. No. But all right, let's move on from that. I just want right. to talk about a couple of movies I've seen since we last talked. Um, I've seen the movie Baby Driver three times. Uh, three times. Everyone I talked to about it said I should see it. I well, and I defiantly refused you have no reason to refuse it like it's, i just haven't gotten around to it all right no, 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 i would that, have that, gladly that. seen it with I, I you like, if i wasn't in canada at the time that's fine that's fine um yeah no no i yeah and i probably would have invited you along um i i ended up just because i saw it by my i saw it with uh matt and Corey, and i loved it so much i was like all right i'm there was one day after i was done with work where i was just like i, I need to I need to get my mind. I need to things. see Baby Driver again. Yeah, basically, I, I just decided I don't have anything to do. I'm gonna go see Baby Driver again, and that was just. I, I occasionally I will see a movie by myself just because, a I want to have that cinematic rush that I had the, the other time I saw it, but also because maybe I want to study the filmmaking a little bit more. It's fun to see movies by yourself. I know that. Well, yeah. Well, well. It, I, I, I remember, saw Frozen um, by myself. Yeah, that was I, a good time. And I usually do that with like Tarantino's films. This movie has a little bit of a Tarantino flavor, but in a way that it's not ripping him off so much as here is another guy who I think can be he's like Tarantino's peer from the awesome doing, manly director that, that uh, from, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, <laughs> from that, the man like, who has seen every movie in the world. From the cinematic game changer, Quentin Tarantino. No. Um, what's really impressive about this film is that uh, we've talked about Scott Pilgrim before. And uh, we've talked about how much we love it and things about it that we admire it. One of the things that I don't know if we've talked about regarding that movie is how it uses music. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, that uh, every time that Scott Pilgrim has a fight, or most of the times he does, that involves music because he plays in a band, music becomes... Uh, I don't know if exactly every single music shot. becomes an extension of the action. It becomes an extension of the action. It's the the shots and edits are kind of put to the music, so that you feel like you're really in it. And Baby Driver takes that idea and really runs with it because the the concept in Baby Driver is you is uh, this character who's named Baby, uh, but he doesn't drive babies unfortunately, which that could have been funny. Um, he, he you're right. <laughs> or yeah if he, if, i want a movie where a guy drives a baby baby driver two baby harder no yeah that's not bad that was awful that was okay work don't patronize me um he 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 has uh, what they call tinnitus so he has like this kind of ringing in his ears all the time from an accident he had when he was a kid so the movie gives him a reason to be listening to music all the time it's not just a I mean, there is the part of it that, yeah, it's, it's for a movie, but... Oh, a person who listens to music all the time with headphones in their ears. That's very unusual in this modern day. Yes, well, I feel, but I felt like it was Edgar Wright giving a reason for it in the movie. It wasn't just, 
here's this hipster douchebag who is part of this criminal gang pulling these heists. That but, that, that certainly endears him more to us than oh, he's just like everybody else. Yeah, but but it also but but what works too is that the other the other people in these uh, in these heist outfits that Kevin Spacey puts together. Uh, like pointed out to him like you're you're weird you know that why are you sitting over there by yourself listening to music with sunglasses on and uh how dare you yeah no basically they say that to him how dare you do this be normal listen to music on your own time (laughs) yeah and um but it's the way that edgar wright does these car chases and some of these action set pieces my god this man is just on fire and uh, again, so if you liked Scott Pilgrim, this is one to check out. If if not in theaters, and certainly on DVD, um, or if not, also the soundtrack is just fantastic. Uh, it's so eclectic. You have uh, he he mixed, He has Motown songs. He has jazz. He has uh, punk music. He has uh, um, the song Hocus Pocus. You ever heard Hocus Pocus? No. If I played you Hocus Pocus, you would recognize it. It's it's one of those songs that you know that you've heard on classic rock, but you always go like, what is this song? You know what I mean. Okay. It's one of those type of things. We'll that, that's to it used, after the it's break. used for a really great um, uh, thing. So yeah, Baby Driver was really fantastic. Um, what else? We talked about Dunkirk. I saw Atomic Blonde. Uh, that was okay. Yeah, it was fine. Right. It has it, that also has really fantastic action in a different way um, because that comes from a uh, guy that did John Wick. Right. So you have somebody who really who comes from fight choreography, but also because he comes from fight choreography, like he was fight choreographer on countless movies. Um, he also has been dying and itching at the bit to do one of those long take action scenes. So there's a sequence in the movie where Charlize Theron is trying to get this guy out of trouble or danger. And she's going down this giant stairwell and basically just fights a lot of guys. And in a sense you could say, well, isn't this kind of like old boy, but it's not quite staged like that. Old boy was horizontal. Atomic blonde is vertical. Yeah, actually that is the difference. (laughs) I've done it. Yeah, you basically did it in a sentence. Didn't even have to see the movie. But, but what's what's cool though, and what the the two those two examples have in common though, when you watched all the all, that old boy fight in the hallway, um, what what was cool about it, which people maybe don't really talk about, is that the characters get tired. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to do. Yeah, the, the characters, after you casi- never see that in fights after casino royale which had like the longest foot chase in history apparently oh the, oh yeah the opening of the movie. <laughs> i was like man don't these people get tired like i yeah. I, I run like I, I run 50 yards and i'm winded <laughs> I, I i i do punch and okay and, stuff and, and okay i'm not a uh, i'm not a uh, trained spy i don't do my cardio but it's like come on everybody gets tired yeah. so i've always wanted a foot race in a film yeah. Where it's like one guy's chasing after another, and then all of a sudden they're both kind of like, ah, ah, and they're panting, and they're like they're both like a good distance away from each other. Yeah. And then like the one in front just like stops because he knows he's far enough ahead, and the guy back who's just like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna rest too. Yes. Exactly. I've never seen that. I wish a film would do that at least once. 
and then like the rest of the film is them like staggering to catch up. Yeah, well, well, Atomic Blonde has a little bit of that because you know she Charlize Theron is beating the crap out of these guys, and and they're giving it to her too. Like she's not like punch free in, in, by the end of the whole sequence. Um, but but there's a certain point where they're just like the two characters are like in the stairwell in this room, like. <sighs> yeah. And it's like, ah! and it's, yeah. it adds humor to it because you can picture what would I do in this sequence? <laughs> You'd be like, wait, wait, time out. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and they're like, okay, time out. Yeah, you never see that happen. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, time in. Ah! Yeah. Um, so I saw that. Uh, have you seen anything you want to talk about? Not too much. Uh, I've been trying. That's okay. Basically, for the last four weeks, to watch the Secret World of Arietti. Oh yeah, I've I've seen that movie. Yeah, and I got pretty far, but then every but then something happens where I just have to stop, and I never get to the end. Do you, is something like interrupt you or you? Just... No, yeah, it's usually like I, I I sit down to watch a movie for a little while. I'm watching, and then I'm just like, oh, I gotta do something else. And so does that reflect on the movie or just on no, things you it, have to do? No, it's basically, it's just been my, my state of mind. Like, for a while, I, I just haven't been too interested in seeing films. Like, you know, mm. except when I'm with you. I mean, Well, thank uh, you. I, it, oh, but I'm, then I'm, it's I'm, like, I'm when I'm by myself, it's just like, can I, when I watch a film and it's like, Ah, why don't you do some writing or whatever? Or <laughs> why, why don't you Why don't you paint a masterpiece? Why don't you do something with your life, Andrew? <laughs> no, I, I, it's, it's funny. I, I, I felt that way too. I mean, I, 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 I definitely get guilty. There was, there was some tweet I saw the other day actually that said, uh, the right, my writing process is just lots of sitting around full of shame and then eventually <laughs> sitting down to write out of embarrassment. Yeah, that's. <laughs> That that's pretty accurate. Yeah, um, uh, and then the last thing I want to talk about though, before we close out the segment though, the other thing I've been doing um, lately, I, I kind of gave myself a little cinematic project for the summer, um, and you're probably going to want to sit back and go like, really at me when I tell you this. I've been watching a lot of Roger Corman movies. Really. <laughs> I, I told you. Well, movies he's produced or I, I had to do the full gag. <laughs> yeah. Well, what happened was uh, about a month or so ago, um, I read his memoir, which has the perfect... how to make a bunch of cheap movies and well, how to solve it business. Well, well, that's almost the title of the book. It's the title of the book almost sounds like one of his movies. How I made uh, no no uh, oh what was it? Uh, <laughs> the book was actually called. The Book of Secret Horrors. And it's just... <laughs> and it was just a bait and switch to get I you to buy a... this book of secret horrors to try to appease Andrew. And it was <laughs> like, let's choose the cover art that people are most interested in. And that way... Oh. And, we'll, and we'll write the book around that. Okay, here's the full title. How I Made a Hundred Movies in Hollywood and Never Lost a Dime. Because that's what it's all about, right? <laughs> it's about the dimes. See, well, this is why I hate Roger Corman. Why do you hate him? I hate him because he rarely produced a good film. It was like uh, one of a hundred. Well, and then here's what he goes. He makes the title of his autobiography. I made money by making crappy films. That's basically he what didn't that title really says say to it me. Like that. That's he, what that title sounds that's, like that's to a, me. That's an eye-catching title. 
It's like one of his movies. It's the eye-catchingest, cynic, most cynical title about filmmaking. It I've also ever isn't. Re- it also, read. the funny thing is, it also isn't really true. You pick up the book, and he actually admits that he lost money on a couple of movies. Well, I, I assume. That, <laughs> I assume that he made a net gain from all of his films. Well, it wasn't like everyone was a profit-busting blockbuster. Here's what I'd say though about Roger Corman: was he was he a bit penny pinching and, and and greedy in some respects yes but he also did a lot for other filmmakers and got them started and he also did make some good movies he made a, he, his run of edgar Allan poe movies are genuinely by and large really good and one of those i even watched pit in the pendulum has what i would say is one of vincent price's top three or four best performances okay and so, yeah, did he make some... Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think that part of it is maybe just me distracting myself from my job. And so I would come home and it's like, I ha- now have the nurse's collection. So I spent a week watching... <laughs> there were a series of movies his company, New World Pictures, put out, which were a series of nurse movies. Like, The Young Nurses, Candy Stripe Nurses, <laughs> Night Call Nurses... The student nurses. This sounds to me like one of those big volumes you get of books like put out by the same publishing company, but they all just have blank green covers. Yeah. Or, or maybe, no, the whole book is just bound out in like a brown paper cover. That's what this sounds like I, to me. Yeah. I... I, 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 I think what I admire about him, though, is just as an independent filmmaker, his tenacity and also that, did he make a lot of crap? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there there's, I actually, there's a movie that I may or may not watch, which has been on Mystery Science Theater. There are actually a few movies that Roger Corman directed that are Mystery Science Theater. A like, few? <laughs> oh, like The Undead or uh, Swamp Women. Which I actually have seen. Uh, probably there are a couple other ones I'm forgetting. A bunch of a bunch of other mystery science theater films are are, are Roger Corman projects, like directed by oh, Gene oh, Corman. Oh, produced. Oh, yeah. Gene Corman. Yeah. Huh. I didn't even uh, know Night this. of the Blood Beast, a classic, is a Gene Corman film. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. uh, that's well, the, but the thing uh, is, wait, the... Attack of the Fifth of the Giant Leeches is well, another Corman project. Well, I would say though is that reading this book. It was it was highly entertaining, and the way that I would disc- I would kind of characterize it is that it was like a much less depressing version of Nightmare of Ecstasy, which was the book about uh, Ed Wood, hmm. and his story of making movies was full of a lot more failure and misery, and even though Ed Wood had a lot of gumption to try to make things, he really failed. Whereas Roger Corman, he, you know. He, he he would tr- he wouldn't go out of his way to make a complete piece of crap. He would go out. He would penny pinch for sure. He he the, the the classic line about Roger Corman was that he he could go into a phone booth, make a deal for the movie, use the change from the call to make a movie while in the phone booth, and then also make a deal to distribute it right there. Here's what I will say. Here's what I will give Roger Corman. Okay, he had a he had a great business mind for films. Okay. And you know, in a, in a film business, 
I mean, that's something to be admired. Yes. Now, will I ever give him credit for being a great filmmaker, or will I give him credit for, you know, launching all these people? No, because I think when you make that many films, the people who work for you are bound to eventually go on to do something better. Uh, no, I don't know, though, and... because the thing is, you, where I would take issue with that is that you... A lot of times when a film, when somebody is starting out with film, whether they're maybe a film student or maybe they just have a good script that they just want to get made and nobody's searching for it, Roger Corman gave chances to them and then they they had to make movies, whether they were good or not, maybe if they came out good it was by accident, um, it was, it, it gave them a film school that they wouldn't maybe get in an actual school. Or they wouldn't get elsewhere. And I don't know. That, that's how I, I, I viewed that. Okay. I don't believe you, but okay. <laughs> All right. But the point is I'm, I'm doing it and I'll see how it goes. So anyway, if you've seen any of the films that we've talked about so far in the segment, we've talked about quite a lot of things, uh, make sure to uh, subscribe to us. Uh, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud and uh, Stitcher. Um, I actually have subscribed to the Stitcher Premium app. Uh, I don't know if we can provide anything special yet through that. Maybe I can do some research. Um, we're also on Facebook and Twitter at the wage of cinema podcast. Uh, we're also uh, emails, wage of cinema at gmail.com. I sometimes like to post, you know, little things here and there. Uh, like I posted a music video to cruel summer to tie in with this being a cruel summer. Um, when we come back, uh, we are going to talk about our What the Devil is That movie of the month, which we're a little behind on, but we're doing it. So stop sending letters, you one This person. is pre-recorded, so yeah, this is coming out in July. <laughs> we yeah. recorded this in July. Sure we did. Runs away. All right, stay tuned.